it's large chunks of the workforce. So I don't know how every employer is going to be able to accommodate large numbers of people. And the governor recognizes that it's going to be a hard choice for for employees to decide what they're going to do and how they're going to manage this. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. The voice you just heard belongs to Dayton Daily News Statehouse reporter Laura Bischoff, who has been covering the ins and outs of the coronavirus pandemic in Ohio, even though she wears the wrong colors. It has been a while since Laura was on our podcast to give us an update. Now was a good time because Governor Mike DeWine, Green County's own, just announced how the state will reopen and how it won't. In this special episode, Laura, Dayton's voice in the room at nearly every press briefing given by the governor and Ohio's health director, Amy Acton, breaks it all down for this special episode. She explains what will open and what won't open, coronavirus testing, why more Ohioans than you may think are at risk for the virus, and why she got booed in the press room. The What an MOS podcast is a project of Dayton.com. Rate and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now, here's my chat with Laura Bischoff. So, hey, Laura, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. How about you, Amelia? Oh, living a dream in Dayton, Ohio. What happened? So, Governor DeWine rolled out his long-awaited plan on how Ohio is going to start to reopen. It's going to happen in kind of like waves. On May 1st, he said we're going to have a healthcare opening. So dental offices, veterinarians, medical offices will reopen and any procedures that don't require an overnight hospital stay would be allowed. So Ohio, you can go get your teeth cleaned. May 4th, thank God, manufacturing people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, probably all those kids are just itching to get their orthodontist, get their braces off. <laughs> So May 4th, manufacturing, distribution, construction, and general offices that weren't part of the essential businesses, those will be allowed to reopen. And then May 12th, consumer and retail services will reopen. However, there's a long list of stuff that's not going to reopen, including bars and restaurants, hair salons, barber shops, zoos, amusement parks, pools, country clubs, anywhere where there's a lot of people who gather together that on hold for a while. Places that large groups don't really congregate. It's just controlled groups that they are allowing to congregate and meet up, right? Well, I mean, it it still could be some pretty large businesses. The last thing that's going to come would be large gatherings like festivals, concerts, sporting events, things like that. The businesses that were not considered essential that are now going to be allowed open, I'm not really sure what falls in it because, again, there's so many Groups that aren't going to open, bars, restaurants, gyms, pools, hair salons, etc. Oh, and then also daycare centers are not going to open yet, which kind of puts parents in a bind because if you are told you got to go back to work, you need somewhere to have appropriate care for your young child, and daycare centers are not going to reopen yet. Also, summer camps are not going to open. Recreation sports tournaments and leagues and things like that, those aren't going to open yet either. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because Tigger... He's a latchkey kid. He takes care of himself. And also, he's a cat, so I don't have to worry he's about it. He's a kitty autopilot. Yeah, but there was a number of people on my Facebook page who were pretty upset that there was nothing said about daycare centers in, in particular. I know that schools are out, so really, 
daycare centers would be the only place. Yeah, my kids are older now, but when I was a, a working mom, to try to get all of the daycare and the, the summer camps and all that stuff ironed out well ahead of time, it was like quite a quite a balancing act. So do they have any plans or to talk about daycare centers or restaurants that you know about? No, not yet. The Ohio Restaurant Association issued a statement just asking the governor to, you know, please let them open starting May 15th with social distancing measures in place. The restaurant and bar industry is pretty big in Ohio, 585,000 employees, $25.6 billion in sales each year. This shutdown has really hit really hard. They estimate at least 100,000 jobs lost, $700 million in sales lost. When they do reopen, they're expecting that dine-in revenues will be barely half of what they were at the pre-pandemic level. That's according to the Ohio Restaurant Association. And the reason for that is that people are just too close, right, in restaurants. I saw like on CNN where I think it was Anderson Cooper who had a layout from a Chinese restaurant where it showed this person was sitting here and this person had it and it kind of spread around their whole restaurant. That's kind of why they're afraid of restaurants, right? Think about it. You're in close quarters with people you don't know for an extended period of time. If you go out for a nice dinner, you might be in the place for a couple hours. You know, it's tricky. The governor wants to start with small steps, keep monitoring to see how the case numbers, the hospitalization numbers go go up or down. Also, he has said all along that reopening is really contingent on Ohio having adequate testing and having good contact tracing and then also good access to personal protective equipment. Now, the state struck a deal with Thermo Fisher Scientific to produce a new reagent, which is a chemical used in the processing of the test. The reagent has been uh, rationed by the federal government, and that's been a big bottleneck point for Ohio. And it's one of the reasons why we haven't had as much testing as we need. And also nasal swabs. There's a company, actually a dental lab, Rowe Dental in Cleveland. They're going to start using 3D printers to make the nasal swabs. These are the long Q-tips that they jam up your nose to get the specimen, do the coronavirus test. Now, how do they want this testing to work? Do they want everybody to get a coronavirus test? How is that even going to work? There's a couple different flavors of tests. There's the jam it up your nose test, which is the one to determine whether or not you have the virus. And right now, the people who are symptomatic and in a high-risk category or they're frontline healthcare workers, they're getting the test. And then also they're testing widely in the state prison systems, and they want to expand the testing into nursing homes, and they want to be able to swoop in and do testing in hotspots so that they can quickly isolate the sick people and then all their contacts can quarantine, and then you kind of snuff out that outbreak before it spreads further. Um, and then it's an antigen testing or antibody testing, which is like a blood test done after the fact to determine whether or not maybe you had it and you were asymptomatic or maybe you had something kind of mild, you were a little bit sick earlier, but you never got the test. So the antibodies would show do you have some sort of immunity to the virus, but the new virus, they're not sure how long that immunity might last. Etc. And also, there, I read in the New York Times that there was a lot of problems with some of these antibody testing, that some of them were not very reliable. And then the third thing, Ohio Department of Health is awaiting the supplies to do a random sample test of about, I think, 1,000 to 1,200 people. And this is a blood test to determine whether or not they ever had COVID. This would be a representative sample of Ohio's population. And then from that, you could kind of like a, you know, when you do a political poll, you do a sample of randomly selected, and then you can extrapolate from there. They're hoping to do that as well. So it's kind of three different tests that are swirling around on this. 
most people who weren't sick won't be getting a thing up their nose generally. They would just probably be getting a blood test if they get anything. Well, is that right? Right. Ideally, it'd be better is if anybody who has the symptoms, the dry cough, the fever, shortness of breath, those are the, like the typical symptoms. If they have those symptoms, it would be great if they could get the test and then everybody in their contact um, circle would be also told to quarantine for 14 days, make sure that they don't have an outbreak. Caitlin Schrader, our colleague at Dayton Daily, she did a, a really good story recently in Dayton Daily News about contact tracing and how that works. And it's a matter of running down, okay, you worked next to so-and-so and you went over to your neighbors and neither of you were wearing masks for a 20-minute conversation. Well, maybe the neighbor should also quarantine. I've actually been keeping a list of people I've come in contact with um, over the last two weeks, just on a rolling average, because I'm still going to the Ohio State House every day Mm -hmm. to cover the governor's press conferences. Now, it's typically the same 15 or 20 reporters and photographers in that group, but I just want to make it so that if I were to fall ill, that it'd be easier to notify everyone. Cutting in to remind you that you are listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast, and I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. This show is brought to you as a service from Dayton Daily News. As our community and nation respond to the coronavirus threat, the Dayton Daily News is here, providing up-to-the-minute local coverage on our website and app, and going in-depth so you know what's really going on. Our news team is working around the clock to provide information you can trust to keep your family safe and connected. As a community, we may be hunkered down in our homes, but we are still Dayton strong. We have survived so much together and will get through this crisis too. The Dayton Daily News, your trusted source for local news. It's interesting. I really haven't seen that many people in person. I've done most of my interviews over the phone. It's been very odd, but it's worked out so far. I do think it's hard for people in the news business because generally speaking, we're very type A personalities. We're very social creatures. I'm doing my job, but I do like FaceTime with sources and with interview subjects because I think that you get a different level of, uh, of connection and information. Oh, yeah, you get a deeper story a lot of the times when you talk to people in person. There's a guard that people put up over the phone that they don't put up when they're sitting across from you, I think, anyway. So that's been interesting. It's nothing that we can't get over, but I think we've been still able to produce good, compelling stories without that level of intimacy, but it's different for sure. You know, what's interesting is that Baldwin-Wallace University came out with a poll just recently. There were two polls that came out. One was from Baldwin-Wallace and one was from Ohio State. And they both kind of took a look at how Ohioans look at this whole pandemic and the handling of it. And one of the polls, and then I have it in front of me, but one of them said that people really, they were turning to their newspapers for trusted information. And they weren't necessarily getting as much news from their social media feeds. I think the pandemic has really brought into sharp focus how important it is to subscribe to your local paper. We're here for you. Yeah, baby, we are. Absolutely. Yeah, we can love on our readers, but from afar. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> person on Facebook kind of brought this up. What will happen if a person has a job that reopens, but they don't feel comfortable going back to work? Governor addressed that at all. Well, I've been getting that question from a lot of people, particularly people who are in that high-risk category if they have some sort of pre-existing condition or they're over 60, and maybe they work in a in a retail store, and then now they're going to have to decide between a paycheck and risking their health. I think that the governor has said he hopes that businesses are flexible and can try to accommodate folks like that. But I'll tell you, there's large swaths 
of Ohio's population that fall into that high-risk category. People who are obese, that's 34% of the population. People who are smokers, that's 22% of the population. People who are asthmatic, another like 10 or 11%. People over 60, I don't know what percentage it is, but it's, it's pretty high. You start looking at that, you start adding all that up, and it's large chunks of the workforce. So I don't know how every employer is going to be able to accommodate large numbers of people. And the governor recognizes that it's going to be a hard choice for, for employees to decide what they're going to do, and how they're going to manage this. I just kind of wonder what it's going to look like at some of these companies, too. Are they going to bring everybody back yet? So you might have a manufacturing company, but the supplier might not be in place. So do they have any idea yet or projections for how many people they expect us to bring back into the workforce? That's a good question. I'll try and follow up on it. They're also saying that, like, you know, if you can continue to work from home, they should do that, Mm -hmm. you know? Even though there's like this gentle reopening going on, the governor still is asking people to stay at home whenever possible. And at mass gathering, the gatherings of more than 10 people, that's a no-no. Do they feel like people got the point that this is like for real and not something to take lightly? Because I know one of the reasons they started cracking down on bars and restaurants is because that weekend before St. Patrick's Day when everybody went out. Do they feel like people are heeding the warnings or? It's interesting. I think that there's, You know, I think largely Ohio has been very compliant with these orders and have really done a remarkable job at flattening that curve and making sure that the healthcare system isn't completely slammed with cases. Good job, Ohio. But I do think that there's a segment of the population that has kind of poo-pooed this, and and now they look and see that the curve got so flattened, and they sort of say, well, it was never that big to begin with, and you can't really prove what didn't happen. Right. You know, now there's There's a group of Republicans in the Ohio House, I think there's like 32 of them that had signed on to this. It's basically their plan is, hey, let every business open starting either on or before May 1st. Every business should have the ability to decide for themselves what kind of practices. I mean, they say that there should be social distancing, et cetera, and hand washing, but really it should be up to the business owners and the individual employees and customers to decide what's the best way to protect themselves. So basically, it's like people in the market decide what they want to do and regulate themselves. Is it, or is that just yeah? And generally speaking, these are quite conservative lawmakers. Interesting. When you think the other parts of the state will reopen, as far as like daycares and restaurants and schools and all that, you got any sense of that? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's going to have a June plan and then a July plan. Since we've got the May plan, didn't shine too much light on that. But certainly, there's going to be continued pressure for him to keep opening, keep opening, keep opening. Again, though, I think they're going to have to keep an eyeball on the cases and the hospitalization. Although, you know, they've struck these deals to um, improve testing capacity, and there's another deal in the works to improve contact tracing, and they're hiring more people for contact tracing. The access to PPE, the personal protective equipment, the, the gowns, the face masks, the gloves, the N95 masks, etc., that's still kind of in short supply. So that's a continuing concern. But we are right now, I feel better than a lot of other states. Our numbers are not where a lot of states are. Is that a fair statement, would you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just, I think in part because the governor acted pretty aggressively to shut stuff down. And uh, we just, Ohioans have been very compliant with this and have taken it pretty seriously. And, you know, it's interesting, to, you know, these two polls show that Ohioans are really pleased with DeWine's leadership on this. Like 85% of Ohioans approve uh, the governor's handling of the emergency, but only half 
approve of how President Trump has handled it. That's from the Baldwin-Wallace survey. The similar findings from, from the other survey as well. Huh. Interesting. Well, was there anything else you wanted to say that I didn't ask you about? Oh, you forgot to ask me about my MGO Blue mask. Oh, tell Let me. Let me tell you. <laughs> so I am a proud graduate of the University of Michigan. Oh, boy. And I live in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So, so a friend of mine got me a, a Michigan mask, maize and blue, with Michigan emblems on it. And I've been wearing it to the, the governor's presser and getting all kinds of grief from my colleagues in the state press corps. I was wearing it on Earth Day last week, and the governor said, well, to celebrate Earth Day, uh, Fran dug up a Buckeye tree plant on, the, on his farm property in Greene County. And so there's going to be a lucky member of the press, whoever's in the question and answer line, whoever's in the lucky position is going to win the tree. <laughs> and uh, don't worry about it because it's not it's not worth anything. It's just, you know, some brand dug up. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting there wearing my Michigan mask, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a setup for sure. So lo and behold, I got up. I was number 11 in the line, and then the governor told me I won the plant. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, are you doing the OHIO dance there? And I said, no, I'm a Michigan grad. And then everybody in the press conference started booing me. <laughs> but... Uh, well, I went to OU, so. Aside from the mask, the other reason why I think it was a setup is because the woman who picked the secret number is his uh, communications chief. She lives around the corner from me. So total setup. <laughs> total setup. I know. It was fun. I haven't planted the plant yet. It, it really, it's not really a tree. It's more like a plant that wants to become a tree. <laughs> it's maybe like 12 inches tall. But anyway, I got to figure out where to plant it. Uh, well, I guess Ohio State is going to be in your heart one way or the other. Your boy goes there, so it's okay. <laughs> I have one son who goes to Ohio State. I've paid more intuition to Ohio State than I ever did to the University of Michigan. And then I have another son who's at University of Cincinnati. Well, hey, thanks, Laura. I appreciate you checking in and giving us an update. Absolutely. Anytime, Amelia, my friend. Later, wash your hands. Oh, my hands are washed. They're going to be okay. double washed again just from talking to you. As always, Laura had some news that we can all use. You can find her work on Dayton.com, DaytonDailyNews.com, and in the pages of your Dayton Daily News. The What It Happened Was podcast is produced, edited, written, and recorded by me, Amelia Robinson, in our home office, with my trusted sidekick, Tigger, giving himself a bath right on the desk. The show's artwork is by my good friend, Troy Liming, of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, wash your hands and stay at least six feet from each other. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.